word intentional. What does the word intentional mean for you? I think it means uh, proactive, first of all, right? Like it's hard to be intentional unless you're proactive. So it's you saying, hey, I'm not going to let the, the, the terms dictate the way that I'm going to handle it, right? I'm not going to just constantly live in this reactive state, but I'm going to be proactive. Welcome to the Intentional Growth Podcast, the show that teaches you how to grow the value of a company with an end in mind. Host Ryan Tansom interviews top business leaders, authors, entrepreneurs, and other professionals who share their experience and expertise about buying, growing, and selling companies. Welcome back, everybody, to the Intentional Growth Podcast. I appreciate you tuning in. This is episode 278, and this is Ryan Tansom, your host. Today's guest's name is Greg Meredith, and this is his second time on the show. Um, I had him back on the show, oh oh my gosh, about a year ago. And the reason that I'm excited to have him back on the show is Greg's expertise is strategic planning. And before you hang up uh, the podcast immediately, strategic planning is something that is, I think, very um, widely misunderstood of what is strategic planning, what is a strategy, and when people are doing it and when they're not. And we're going to unpack that in today's episode. But a little bit of context that I think is important before we jump in with Greg is that you know a lot of people that tune into the show and a lot of people in the Twin Cities and a lot of people that are our clients are running EOS or traction or some sort of operating system. And a lot of times people confuse that as a strategic plan of going from 5 million to 10 million. That is what we call a goal. The strategies is about how you organize all of your company assets into a high impact winning position. And it's about going through exercises in order to identify the trade-offs and the choices that you have to organize those assets to create your high impact winning position. And Greg is going to unpack his simply strategic framework and We've partnered up with Greg and we've done uh, multiple clients together and it's very actionable. And that's what I absolutely loved about his system is that when you're done, it's not some $100,000 three ring binder that no one ever wants to look at again because the painful process of going through it and writing the checks for a horrible experience that is not actionable is the last thing everybody wants. What we want is a framework to make decisions that are trade-offs with the resources that we have to organize those resources into a high impact winning position. And then we can align our financials. Then all of those inputs go into the operating system like EOS and on your VTO. And I know there's a lot more context than we normally have on the show in the intro, but I think it's super important because this is such a huge topic that is misunderstood, which is why I want to have Greg back on the show to explain the updated form uh, framework and for us to understand unpack more of his uh, materials so that way you can take this and understand whether you have a strategic plan, whether you need to update it, so that way you can be confident as all hell that you're strategically executing the plan relentlessly so you can make progress towards your goals of making more money, enjoying your work, and having more choices with the valuation you want down the road. So, Thanks so much for tuning in. Greg Meredith is on the show. If you want more about uh, Simply Strategic or some of the uh, the process, go check out the Intentional Growth Training. We uh, reference Greg's training or Greg, Greg's strategic planning in Principle Four, but also Greg is going to uh, give us a bunch of overview on his strategic planning framework that uh, I also highly recommend looking more into. Thanks all for tuning in, and without further ado, here's my interview with Greg Meredith. Sponsored by Arcona's Intentional Growth Digital Course. 
Ryan Tansom and Pat Hobby show you how to shift your mindset away from solving for annual income to focusing on strategies that create long-term value, giving you the freedom and choices to take control of the future destiny of your business. Accelerate your knowledge with 36 videos and dozens of exercises that combine decades of experience buying, growing, and selling companies. Learn more by going to arcona.io or visiting the show notes. Greg, here we are. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Ryan? Doing good. So I've had Greg on the show before, everybody. And uh, in the last 24 months since we did that last episode, uh, we've been doing some work together and the strategic planning. I've watched your process and stuff evolve. And I was like, you know what? It's time because I know more these days than I did 24 months ago. You've been doing some awesome stuff. And so we're going to dive into strategic planning. What is it? Your methodology? Just a bunch of different things. So Welcome to the show, Greg. Hey, Ryan. Thanks for having me back and uh, really, really looking forward to the conversation today. So let's uh, let's give everybody like a 30,000-foot uh, flyby of your background that led you to like, hey, why are you in an office at a factory right now? And then yeah. also, why do you do strategic planning? How does this all fit into what you're doing today? That's great. Well, about five years ago, I had to have an honest conversation with myself about what I wanted to do with my future. I was running a consulting practice for a regional um, professional services firm, and doing a lot of strategic planning, doing a lot of uh, help with small and mid-sized businesses, and and could have made a career in um, in, in kind of that that practice or in in that profession, and had to stop and say, is that really what I wanted? And um, came to the conclusion that it wasn't. That that really my personal vision is, I want to own a portion of several businesses over the course of the next 25 years. And one of those businesses that I, I am passionate about and that I have really spent a lot of time, even since we spoke last time, setting up is this strategic planning business. And so my background has always been in consulting or um, even when I was working at a Fortune 500 company or a small startup, I, I've always kind of been a problem solver and a guy that, that gets things done. And so helping companies with that has been what I've done. And so the last six months with Simply Strategic, the, the business that I've set up to, to really help small and mid-sized businesses with strategic planning, is it's a, it's a labor of love. It's something that I really enjoy. Um, I do own a small manufacturing business. I have a little software business that I'm working on. Um, I have other irons in the fire and uh, love what I get to do. So I like to say that I'm a practitioner and also somebody who is um, is, is living this from uh, from both sides of the table. So it's been a lot of fun. I uh, and uh, that's an important key part of this too because you've done it and this is not about creating a hundred thousand dollar binder that people hate the process and they can't wait for it to be done they're gonna put it on the shelf and they go back to getting their their jobs done so before jumping into the different components of your process which i, I know we're going to be getting to what is strategic planning and what is it not yeah. let's start there because i think there's a lot of people sitting here going okay we're gonna have to lay some groundwork on some vernacular here <laughs> yeah no sometimes people do think of strategic planning as uh this end all be all of okay we're going to solve all the company's problems or they look at it as, as this dreaded uh this dreaded thing that they have to do right we've got to check the box on this just like going to the dentist a couple times a year we've got to go through strategic planning and get it done and so what we say when we talk about um, strategic planning is 
What we're trying to do is create a compelling strategy. And there's a lot of activity that's going to go around that. There are going to be things that we do together that are going to be part analysis, part planning, part execution. But at the end of the day, if our time together doesn't lead to your small or mid-sized business having this compelling strategy, then we've failed. And so we look at it and say, hey, it's not about creating a, a, a notebook. It's not about um, doing a great analysis, um, although those can be uh, parts of it. It's about getting to this high-impact, compelling strategy that we develop together. And so that's really, when we think about strategic planning, that's what we think of. You want to maybe we can. I don't know if you want to use. You've got a great example that you use throughout um, a lot of your material, but like using an example of a company. So like, what would be the definition of a, a strategy that someone has? And you you, you talk about having strategy be singular yep. and not plural, yep. where people have strategies. So maybe that an example would help uh, cement it for everybody. Yeah, no, I think that's great, Ryan. And and we do talk a lot about that. We talk a lot about the fact that sometimes you will go into strategic planning and people will say, "Well, we need to develop." Some strategies, right? We got to we got to get our strategies out there, um, and and we look at that and say, no, 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 no. We want an integrated strategy. We want one strategy that incorporates how your business intends to use the the assets in, uh, of your company, right? So you've got all these different things. You've got people. You've got technology. You might have intellectual property. You have products and services. So you've got all of these assets. How are you going to use those to create a high impact? So, so um, when we say high impact, like things like being able to charge more or, or, or win more market share, how are you going to create that high impact winning position? And so a winning position most easily described as, you know, if, if you're in a military and you want to have a winning position, the high ground for over 2,000 years has been a great winning position for uh, armies and militaries, right? Get to the high ground. doesn't guarantee victory, but it means you're in a much better position. And so we're trying to help our, our uh, clients figure out how are we going to get to that high ground in our marketplaces, in our, in our business. And so an example of that would be, you know, if we're looking and we're working with a business and they're saying, um, and, and, you know, one of the businesses we, we were working on together, Ryan, they, they had multiple divisions and had made a strategic decision even before I started working with them. I know you were part of some of those early conversations, but part of their strategy was, we are going to stop resourcing parts of our business so that we can pour more resources into a division that's growing, that we think has a, a lot of opportunity to expand. And they looked and said, hey, we think we can really be different in this, in, in this marketplace, right? And so, so for them, their strategy was, was inclusive of lots of different things that they were doing and trying to do. But, but at the heart of it, it was about the way they were going to allocate those assets, those company resources to go mm -hmm. after opportunities in their marketplace. And so um, that's how we think about strategy. It's not, hey, we're going to go and develop 15 different strategies that, you know, you're going to have a marketing <laughs> strategy or a sales strategy. You may have some, some sub aspects of your strategy that deal with those things, but you have a strategy that you are out there trying to um, implement and, and, and really win with. And so... So that's how we uh, that's how we think about it. Well, and I, and, and I think what's so it's so fun over the last few years is I've gotten to know you strategic planning and how it is, what it is and the value it is for a business compared to what other people think they might be doing. And just to kind of um, 
you know, lay some groundwork here is that a lot of people and my, myself included in our previous business or plenty of clients is like, Hey, what's your strategy? 5 million to 10 million, more, lo- more yeah. locations, more products, more, and right. more, uh, right. more headcount versus going like, how the hell are we going to do that? What's going to be the yeah. revenue? Is it going to be the right things? Is it going to create enterprise value or is it just more revenue that's not valuable? And you know, Greg, like I think about like, it's amazing how many people don't have an exercise to make those choices. And there was something you said, and you say quite a bit, but you said on the last podcast uh, a couple of years ago, is like, if the opposite is ridiculously duh, yeah. it's not really impactful. And then, so maybe you can speak to a couple of these points. And then also the, uh, what was, where was I going with that? The, uh, it, it, it's trade-offs, right? Mm-hmm. Like we can't be everything to everyone. So you had, you had said some, you, you had this good, uh, uh, phrase of like, Two really smart, logical people can believe the same difference, can believe different things, and they're both good strategies or just different. Yep. So I don't know. I, again, yeah, there's no, a question somewhere no, in there. Great. Yeah, we, I, I, I um, you know, like all good uh, consultants, I, I, I took that directly from somebody who was an advanced thinker in this topic. <laughs> uh, A.G. Lapley was the, the CEO of Procter & Gamble for many years, wrote a good book about strategy. And he articulated what he called the opposite rule. And so I try to emphasize that it. with my clients where, where, hey, listen, if, if the opposite of what you're saying is your strategy, if it's ridiculous, you don't have a strategy. And so an example would be, hey, we're going to provide excellent customer service to our clients. Well, okay, so what's the opposite of providing excellent customer service to our clients? Uh, we're going <laughs> to provide terrible customer service to our clients. Well, that's, that's not a strategy, right? Like that's ridiculous. And so there's nothing there. You've made no hard decision. Um, another one that I hear a lot is, oh, we're going to treat our people really well. And our people are their, our most important asset. And so what's the opposite of that? Well, um, our people are, are not important and we aren't going to invest in them. And it's like, well, okay, that's not a strategy. Now, if you take that and you say, hey, our people are the most important asset in our company, and we are going to consistently invest in them over X, Y, and Z, right? We're going to invest in them over equipment. We're going to invest in them over technology. We're going to, now you could say, well, another reasonable business person may say, okay, my people are important, but where I'm going to invest my dollars is in the technology or in developing this partnership or in, uh-huh. you know, creating some new product. And so that's where you've started to say, we are actually making choices that another person may not make, but that that we're putting our bet here. We're putting our our money where our mouth is by investing our resources here. And now you're starting to get to the the basic of uh, a formation of a strategy. And and the I think one of the telltale signs is that it's hard, right? These are trade-offs and a trade-off is a hard choice that you have yep. to make because you have a constraint of time, money, or energy or something like that or capital. And you have to make these trade-offs in, instead of waking up and pretending or denying that you're not, that you're able to do all this stuff. And that really comes so it comes down to being intentional yep. with your time. So that way you're waking up and you're making progress. And I, I'll just layer in the whole, like, the goal is that you're gr- growing a more valuable business too with your strategies. It's not just doubling your revenue with the same amount of people and not having that EBITDA that's more transferable, that's got a higher multiple. And it's down to these like strategies. And then we're going to get into some of your keystones in your process, Greg, is yeah. that the, I think about like, 
our old business, and, and I want to talk. I want to kind of uh, pull this into your your exercise and how it's different than how other people might be doing it right now or not doing it. Is that our old business? It was like, hey, we started off as copiers, and then the industries are converging: is telecom, manage IT, document management. Half our industry got into selling water filtration units, which is just absurd. Yeah. <laughs> Think about like yeah. organizing the company yeah. assets in a very clear yeah. bullseye well, exactly fashion towards customer. something. We, what, what else can we sell them, right? Like what else? <laughs> yeah, like how about yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. paper clips too. But yeah. my point is, is like those are very, very specific choices that we were making, yep. whether we were being intentional or not. And what I see a lot of people, because again, being in Minnesota, hotbed for EOS, yeah. a lot of people running traction EOS, or whether it is some other form of a tool or even like a annual planning, it's a lot of it are goals compared to strategies. Yep. And there's no process to make these decisions. Yep. So like, how would you compare the, you know, the, the exercises and strategy choices versus just like goals or, or yeah. goal setting? No, I think goal setting, and, and we actually have what we consider to be an important part of our process. You've talked about our keystones and, and our process has evolved and, and, and we now say, hey, we've got these nine keystones that are part of our planning process. And one of them is very much about what is your goal? Like what, what's your definition of success? We call it the bullseye. And we go through and we say, hey, if our strategy is successful, these things are going to be true. Not, hey, this is our strategy. Our strategy is 30% growth over the next three years. Or, hey, we're going to have this um, uh, NPS score of, of 82. That's not our strategy. Our, 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 those are the indicators that our strategy has worked, right? That is the bullseye. Uh -huh. The arrow that we are aiming at it is hey, if we can hit this bullseye, we will know that our strategy has been successful. And so I do see a lot of folks who confuse whether they're using EOS or, or just another planning process, they confuse the idea that our goal is our strategy. And so we try to, we uh, yeah. try to walk them through that. The other thing that we try to do with our, our strategy development is say, hey, it's not professional management, right? I look at EOS and I say the real value that I've seen from from people that are using EOS is how are you going to run your business um, Monday through Friday, uh, you know, month to month, quarter to quarter, there's a lot of value in just that structure and that process and, and, and having um, a, a really clean operation. Once you get going with a professional management system like EOS, I love it. And I think uh -huh. it's really great. That's not what we're doing when we're talking about developing strategy. We want to help. And it's yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I was just saying, sorry to interrupt, man. It's like, it's like you, the inputs into the operating system, like right? the operating That's system right. is the, just that it's an operating system. And I've watched Greg people implement really shitty strategies really fast. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's like, it, it's about understanding like, what are the inputs and how intentional are you with the trade-offs and the choices that you're making? So that way, when you're putting them into the OS, the, OS, the operating system, that it's being that that it's just executing what you've intended. Absolutely, and and you you know like 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 all of us, um, it's easy to get distracted. It's easy to lose focus. It's easy to wander off the path. And so we say, hey, that's a great reason to have an entrepreneurial operating system, a professional management system, because it is easy to become distracted. But you should not use that process to decide where you're headed because that's not what it's intended for. It's intended, at least the way that I've always 
seen it implemented and, and the value, it's intended to help you once you're on the path, right? It's, it's, it's helping you make that path um, uh, straighter and wider and, and, and better, but to actually determine where are we headed and what is our goal? How are we going to win in our marketplace and, and make some of those decisions? Uh, that's where our process comes in. And we say, hey, we're, we're going to help you get that strategy. Now, whatever professional management system you're using to implement, great. But now you at least uh-huh. know, hey, this is the strategy. This is how we're going to win. This is, this, is, this is how we're going to get to the high ground and, and really have an impactful winning position. So let's uh, let's dive into these nine keystones yeah. and 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 before we do too and I, I think we if you want to use the beta warehouse that you give uh, examples with uh, in clients that's fine however you want to cement some of these I think stories are great for everybody that's listening in especially if, if they're not watching yeah. and uh, but before I just want to say that like you know when people like my my thoughts on strategic planning Greg before meeting you was probably. I mean, it literally was the three ring binder, 450 pages, you know, you're spending so much money on the analysis and it's just so complicated and it's not necessarily actionable because of how complicated it is. And that's where, like, if I think about EOS versus some of the other systems out there, that's where Gino and EOS really, you know, threaded the needle perfectly is like, hey, it's actionable after that. And I'd say that yours is very similar where there's frameworks to be able to do something where it's like, the goal is action yeah. afterwards and implementing. It's not just going through the exercise. So yeah. with that so said, like it, it maybe kind of walk through the nine keystones and how you yeah, got there and how yeah. the structure so, works. So Ryan, we, um, the, the, the way that we have it divided up, the way that we have it broken out is into three phases, right? So we've got phase one, which is analysis. And so some clients have already done a lot of work. They've analyzed their business. They come with a bunch of data and information um, other clients don't. And so we work with clients in that phase to really look at your financials, your operations, your markets, um, your human capital. Those are the four big areas that we're trying to help you understand. And so we do that analysis because there is some groundwork you need to, to have in place in order to, to make some of these important decisions. The phase two is where we get to the nine keystones. And that's where we're saying, hey, we're going to create this plan, right? We're going to get this this compelling strategy pulled together, and we're going to use these nine keystones to do it. And then the last phase is where we're talking about execution, right? And sometimes that means, hey, we're, we're just threading this right into the system you're using already, or we're saying, okay, if you don't have it, here's how you can make this uh, applicable in your world, in your environment. And so mm-hmm. those three phases are really how we break it out. And, um, and, and I think what, for today, if we just talked about the first two, that would probably be valuable. And, 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 uh-huh. and Ryan, we've done some of this together, right? But the analysis phase is not the overly complex. It's not the, hey, we're going to come in and we're going to burden you and we're going to spend three months and it's going to be a check that you're going to choke on to write because, you know, we're, we're doing it's hey, let's get the information that you have. Let's pull this together. Let's do some interviews. Let's have some conversation. Let's have enough to where we look at the business and we say, okay, this is a pretty clear picture of of the important elements of who we are, what we're doing, the clients we're serving, the the financials and how things are are going for us on on our financial scorecard. And so we're pulling that together over the course of a few weeks and, and that gives that foundation for what we're going to do when we get to the keystones. And so 
Um, what I've found to be true with clients is um, things that I think are going to be really elementary. So what we'll do is we'll come together with that report, that analysis report that we bring back to the planning team and we say, okay, you six who are doing the strategic plan, here's what we heard from your team. Here's how we viewed the conversations and the data. And, and you know, we put together that simple report. There's always something in there that I thought was completely non-controversial that they say, oh my gosh, I've never thought of this. Or, oh, I can't believe he thinks that, or she said this. And so it leads to this really healthy interplay of, yep, a lot, 80% of it, we hear you, we agree. 10%, we've never heard it before and we really need to think about it. 10%, wow, we really disagree with this. How do we have people in our organization or you as the outside guide, how do we, how are you um, seeing it this way when we don't see it that way? So, so the purpose is to, to kind of put that out there and to give us a lot of that material that we're going to use in, in the planning phase of, um, uh, of the project. And so, you know, w- w- depending on the client, you know, that can be a, a really uh, a, a simple process. Some clients want you to come in and say, hey, no, I want you to do more. I want more of your time. I want you to really dig under the covers. And so we work with them. And, and, and you know, Ryan, we've done it a couple different ways with, with uh, our Kona clients and um, really help them, you know, shape the project because it's not a one-size-fits-all. So then you mentioned something, Greg, about being that guide. So as we jump into the nine keystones, which yeah. – you know, the purpose for this for the listeners is to to shed some light on these exercises that are going to help people make the choices that are the trade-offs in front of them to organize their assets in a way that's got that compelling, winning, stra- impactful strategy. Yep. But what I think is so interesting, Greg, is that you, you've laid out this guide factor. And I know a lot of people are starting to talk about the guides these days. And I think it's, but you you have a really good way of explaining using relativity. Yeah. <laughs> and so like, why don't you yeah. give your explanation of the yeah, guide? Sure. And and because I think it's super helpful. Well, when we talk about a strategy guide, we, we place it on a, on a continuum between a facilitator and expert with the guide in the middle, right? So the facilitator is somebody who has, gone to a one-day class or, or, or got some online training, they have a few slides or documents or exercises, and all they're going to do is be a, a neutral referee for you and your team, and they're going to put it in front of you and say, okay, check this box, check this box, check this box. Okay, yeah, let's, let's have some conversation. And there's value in facilitation, but it's not what we do, right? Or it's only a component of what we do. When we say we're guides, we are going to step in and say, oh, no, we've, we've, we're professionals, right? We've been in the business world. We've seen this. We are here to help you and ask probing questions and, and maybe even weigh in when, when there's a difference of opinion that, that, hey, I think this, I think that. Well, you know, one of you, you can't both be right here. So Are you sure? Yeah, are you sure? <laughs> Why do you think that? And, and, and you're, you're helping bring that, that, that value uh, out and up to the surface so that they can see it more clearly. On the other end, so we say, hey, we're not just facilitators. We're not experts in your business, right? And we, we don't come in and say, hey, we only work with this niche, small part of the market where we could actually be an expert in your business, right? And so I own a small injection molding uh, plastics business. And, and I could say, hey, I'm only going to do a strategic planning with injection molding businesses and, um, and, and Ryan, that's not what we do, right? We're not saying we're the expert in, hey, you're running a, a financial services business. You're running a 
a, a distribution business, you're running a manufacturer, we're not an expert in your business. We're an expert in strategic planning. We're an expert in helping you get to this place. We are a guide that's going to walk you through that. And so that's really how we view our role. We are, you know, sometimes it's not always easy to be the guide, right? When you see a client who wants to walk off the edge of a cliff and you're standing there saying, hey, that's not a good choice. Don't walk off. There's that. a cliff. There. Yeah, there's you, a cliff. There. They own that decision, right? I'm not going to do um, a, a physical intervention, but I am going to sit there and I'm going to say, hey, wait, we're not moving on because if you take that path, here's where you're going to fall. And so we are experts in this process and we help folks that, that are looking and saying, hey, we're really good in our business. We understand our clients well, but when we think about where we want to be in three to five years, we're not sure how to think about getting from here to there. Help us, help us get through it. And so, how do we weigh the decisions of like, do we build out this offering or not? Do we, you know, like, like you said, is it do we invest in our equipment or our people and all, like, all those right. trade offs? And, you know, and, and one, one comment on that is like, if someone wants to be told what to do, they should just sell their company yeah. or they should hand off the, the operations to a CEO who then can do it. Cause I think if there's some people out there that like, just tell me what to do. And it's like, well, that's, it's your responsibility. Yeah. No one, you get all the upside on the equity. <laughs> If you're growing value, right. so you have to have some sort of uh, discussion on that. I, I, but I also think people experience a lot of just facilitators that are just empty shells. Yeah. So it's it's about threading that that needle the right way. Yep. So then you, we get into the and these exercises, and, it, yeah. and it's very apparent when and how that guiding works because you you have exercise that people are going through that you can use as the catalyst for these discussions. That's right. Um, so let, let's give us the, give us the uh, drive by on the nine, and then we can take a couple of them uh, in a yeah. little bit more detail if you want. So we break it into, so phase two is where we actually um, create that strategy, right? Where we say, Hey, this is the plan planning phase where we're actually, when people think of strategic planning, they're thinking of our phase two, right? Where at the end of it, I'm going to have something and here it is. And so, we break it into nine keystones, and each of those nine are bucketed into three different categories. So the first set of three are the ones that we would call our foundational keystones. So a foundational keystone means like, hey, this is what we believe. This is what we, we understand. This is, these are the things that are available. And so those three keystones are your doctrines, your bullseye, and your opportunities. So doctrines are those core beliefs about your business and your markets. And, and we go back and we spend a lot of time talking about doctrines. Hey, how do you see the market? How, how, what, what's unique about how you see the market? How do you see your business and your company? And so we really want to understand, articulate, and then align around how your beliefs are, are, are different than your competitors or, or different than um, maybe what some of the, the the, the people in, even in your same organization are, how do you get them down on paper so that you can then communicate it? Because it's a great mm -hmm. uh, decision uh, matrix. So we start with doctrines. We move to bullseye. This is what we touched on a little bit ago. And we say, hey, a bullseye is really the picture of success. And so your strategy is going to be aimed at this. Let's define what it is, the four or five things that are going to let us know our strategy has been successful. So it's the it's the goals, it's the picture of success. And then finally, your opportunities. So what could you do? And we think about it in terms of internal and external. We use a lot of different kind of four box grids to get to this idea of, hey, there's a host of things you can go into. Nobody 
they might not have good opportunities or things that I would be excited about, but every business I work with says, we have a ton of opportunities. We could go make an acquisition. We could, um, we could buy new equipment. We could invest in people. I mean, they can come up with a list of 20, 30 opportunities. We help them organize it and rank it so that they have a really good understanding of here are some of the possibilities that we could do to win in our marketplace. And so those three keystones make up the foundation of the strategy. The second um, three, uh, what we call the essence of your strategy. So the first one is, is where you're looking and saying, hey, here are our company assets. And we want to know what you have and then what you're missing, right? And so what you have is going to determine what you can do. Hey, I would love to have a personal strategy that I'm going to go play in the NBA, right? But I'm in my 40s. I'm shorter than six foot. I wasn't that great at basketball in, in, at any point in my life. <laughs> I don't have the assets to go and play in the NBA, right? And so keep wishing, Greg. Keep right. wishing. So, so what could I do to get myself ready to play in the NBA? Probably nothing, right? So so I look at that and I say, hey, if, it's not a very. I I am not. I don't have the company assets to go and execute that as a person. So we help do that exercise with the companies that we're working with to say, okay, you said you want to get here, right? You've already laid out where you want to go. What assets do you have? Uh, products, um, technology, IP, partnerships, products, what, whatever it might be. What are some mm -hmm. of those? And what are some of the gaps that you have right now that you think are important for you? The, the fifth keystone is your flywheel. Um, we really like to talk about the flywheel and Jim Collins' concept of the flywheel because it brings into the strategy, this is what we're already doing that's successful. One of the things that I think is often overlooked in strategic planning is, hey, we already know what's working. Here's what's working for us. We have this beautiful flywheel. It's spinning. And what we need to do is figure out how to maybe take it to a new market or expand it. Or uh, we've got to tweak one component because that part's starting to get wobbly. And, and we look and we say, let's define that flywheel. It can be a little bit aspirational uh, depending on where the business is. But we want to say, Hey, this is what our this is what's driving our economic engine, and so we will uh -huh. take the time to define that flywheel. And then the last piece is is kind of the the culmination of that essence uh, component, right? These three three middle keystones, and that is your winning position. And we have laid out and talked about five winning positions that we think help clients make those tough decisions to say, hey, we can't be all things that we're not Coca-Cola, right? The small and mid-sized businesses, family-run businesses that we work with, uh, they don't have the ability to win in six different ways, five different ways. So we're helping them say, hey, it's this. We're going to go and develop this winning position. And we're going to make decisions about assets, about resources around us trying to become, to, to win on this high ground to get here. And so that's uh -huh. the essence, those three keystones, company assets, flywheel, and winning position. And then, Ryan, the last three are the enablers, right? This is when people sometimes think about, okay, what, what are my strategies? What we, what we think about is we think about strategic initiatives, right? So we've made our decision on our strategy. This is how we can use company assets to create that high-impact winning position. Now, how are we going to bring that to life? How are we going to enable that? So we'll talk through strategic initiatives, which is, what are you going to do this year? Um, we'll talk through um, the, 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 the uh, keystone number eight, which is your resource budget. Okay, what are, how are you going to do it? What, what, how are you going to invest in this, right? Because almost no strategy comes 
uh, free, right? You've got to invest in mm -hmm. your strategy. So how are you going to invest in your strategy practically with people, with time, with talent, and, and with money? And then the last one are the plans, right? What are you going to do? How, you, how mm -hmm. are you going to build a plan to go and bring, uh, bring this strategy to life? And so that's where that, that enabling the keystones, they're all about making it real and, and, and saying, hey, we've got this strategy. Actionable. This is how we make yep. it actionable. Yep. Well, and what I want to do, and I appreciate that overview because yep. I think this will help. And again, I'm a big proponent of context because I want to spend some time unpacking the first six. And for the last, just a, like from my observations, Greg, over the last few years, that the last three, again, is where like if, you, if you're using – if you got a CFO or you're using someone like ourselves as fractional CFO services and you're running an EOS type system or an operating system, you're rolling your choices into the budget and you're me measuring and amount monitoring all the numbers on the quarterly projects, the base, all that kind of stuff. So again, we can kind of put that over there because there's a lot of different ways to, uh, to accomplish that. And again, you need to do it regardless. But what I think is super interesting, Greg, is that the uh, there was an there was an interview I did about a year ago, and the guy said one of the fastest ways that people can scale their business is by greasing the wheels on decision making. Mm -hmm. And I was like, interesting. And like and then it was just a different way of articulating it. But like really, in another component of being intentional is going where are you going, and then making it very easy for people to make decisions throughout your organization of should we hire this person or not? Should we launch this product or not? Should we do this acquisition or not? Should we sell the, you know, should we take that out of the blue offer? All these choices, people get freaking paralyzed because they don't know yeah. the long-term ripple effect financially or for themselves on these. And so there's no, like, I, I see a lot of people that haven't had these exercises yeah. that help them unpack that and then say, hey, we're going to now put these here. Yeah. So we can make it easier to make these decisions. Right. One of the things that um, has happened recently with uh, an Arcona client uh, that, that I've been working on with your business partner, Pat, um, we were working through these keystones in, in February of 2020. And I had a three-week <laughs> trip planned to New Orleans in the first three weeks of March 2020, right? And so I'm, I'm in the conference room. I tell the team you know, uh, hey, guys, we're going to wrap this up. We're going to bring this home end of March. By the time I got home from that trip um, and we had a conversation, they said, we, are, we were projecting revenue of, uh, let's say, $30 million. We think it's going to be more like 15 this year, right? So they're, they're mm. serving in, a, in <laughs> no. an industry that was just crushed, right? And so they're like, hey, it's all hands on deck. We don't know where we're headed. What, what are we going to do? We, we can't keep going. We can't make these strategic decisions right now because we don't know what the next month is going to bring. And so we, we put it on pause, the planning process. And when we got back together, um, what they said was really impactful and, 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 and made me happy in the sense that we delivered a ton of value, even though we didn't get to the end of them having a formal plan. And that's because they spent a lot of time on their doctrines which is one of the foundational keystones. And they said mm -hmm. when we got back together, hey, Greg um, and, and Pat, hey, we came together and what happened was we would come back to those doctrines consistently and use that as our decision matrix, right? And so when we had a tough mm -hmm. decision to make, what we would do is we would look at our doctrines and say, no, this doesn't fit. The, and, and so even though they weren't making a formal decision in the planning process, uh -huh. they use that matrix, that doc, those doctrines to say, hey, this, this is what we said we believed about our markets and about our, um, our, our 
internal company and what we're doing right. And they use that to make those decisions during what was an incredibly disruptive period for their business. And so when you talk about making decisions and having things that, that are going to help you make those decisions, it's a huge part of what we're doing. And, and, and that's why we work it in the way we do. We, we try to lay that foundation so that when we get to those essence where we're trying, we really are making some decisions about who we are and what we want to do. Now you've got um, a, a really solid and firm foundation. And so, yeah. I, so I think I, I think that those doctrines, the, the the first keystone of doctrines, honestly, Greg, like I don't know if any other strategic planning process does this. And I, just for the listeners, like what's different about doctrines, like this is not your mission, vision, or or purpose, right? Like because those are separate, and your core values and all those things are different. Doctrines. I'm gonna give an example, pulling from like damn near a decade ago now, but like. Like when I see, well, I'll give it about my family business, but when I see business owners and executive teams run into like, like where they hit molasses and they, the, the tension, it goes up or they're having some conflict and they're sitting in whether if they're running a formal process like EOS retraction, so be it, they're still in these meetings where they're trying to make decisions and people have conflict general or naturally because we're, we're humans and we have companies where we have decisions to get made. However, the doctrines are just, what do we believe? So I'm going to give a real example from my, my old space is like, like I started and there was 24 salespeople selling copiers and my dad had different beliefs than I did, just doctrines, right? I believed you could probably fire half of the people, not to say I wanted to, but like I didn't believe that you needed highly paid six-figure salaries selling products that you could literally put on the internet. Not to say you have to get rid of all of them. And again, I was a little young and aggressive with my thought process. So again, a process like this would have helped, but like, it's about this belief. So like, if you think about, we get to a meeting, we've got our VP of sales, VP of uh, service, IT, and my, uh, my dad and myself, and we're having to make decisions of where to spend our time and money. And naturally, if we don't talk about our beliefs, we're going to run into conflict and be in a paralysis. Like, yeah. are we going to hire more salespeople? Or are we going to invest in HubSpot and all this marketing or podcasting or videos? We're like, I don't know. Like, well, right. I believe this, you believe that. And we have, we're at this impasse constantly versus having a safe space when the decision doesn't need to be made that you're processing these things. So that way everybody, you know, yet not everybody's going to agree wholeheartedly on every one of them, but you're like having this, uh, you know, th- not having to deal with that is so peaceful yeah. when you're trying to make decisions yeah, later. Yeah. I don't know, man. Yeah, it's just and, crazy. And, and you know how it works where you, when we're in the process, we'll even refer back to, wait a minute, you guys said that this was the most important doctrine, or you said this was a really vital thing that you guys all believe. And it's not showing up anywhere down the road. I mean, it, what, what happened to this? And, and, and so it, it serves not only as a backwards looking filter on an idea, but a forward projecting um, almost uh-huh. an idea generator that says, oh, we believe that, you know, the, 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 the best uh, place to be is, is uh, you know, in Europe. And we've got to get some products and services for Europe. We've said that, but nowhere in our strategy, when we get to the place of, whether it's generating opportunities or actually deciding what we're going to go and do as a strategy, it's nowhere to be found. So how do we, how do we build that in and how do we articulate that? And so, so it serves both of those functions. And um, you're right. When I talk to people about um, strategic planning, I say, Hey, there's a lot that's pretty core uh, to a lot of folks. Everybody will do some kind of an analysis. They'll set goals. They'll eventually end up with a plan at the end that looks a lot like our enablers. 
Um, but where the secret sauce is for, for Simply Strategic is uh, we're the ones forcing you to think about uh, your doctrine, and we're the ones forcing you to make a tough decision around your winning position. And, and uh-huh. if you can do those um, wrapped in this, these other elements and components, you can actually walk away with a strategy and not just some disconnected things that we're going to go and do. And so let's talk about like, um, so we've got the bullseye, which what I like about that, and I'm just going to speak to a couple of these, because I think the company assets and the winning position and the opportunities are slightly different than other people have. Mm-hmm. They're a little bit more novel, I would say. So the bullseye, you've got, it's not just a financial bullseye. It could be like an MPS score. It could be a employee satisfaction yeah. or other things operational, but like, so let's, let's, and then the flywheel is, you know, if people haven't seen it, Jim Collins has got a great little book about it and he speaks a lot about it, but let's talk about the opportunities and then company assets and winning position. Cause I think those are the things that kind of tie it all together. Yeah. So opportunities, you know, we got a lot of visionaries that are probably listening in right now. Yeah. So it's not a lack of opportunities. Yeah. <laughs> it's usually the problem. Right. So right. speak to like, what are the exercises and how does that, how does that experience feel like what would be the results after the in opportunities yeah so we'll we'll, uh, we'll take the time to, to document those opportunities categorize them and rank them and we want people to think through not just the opportunities because sometimes what happens is people think about opportunities always market facing right and so we will organize those and say hey are you you know we'll, we'll typically put it into a four box grid and we'll say is it a new market but it's your existing products and services or is it your um, uh, new products and servicing services to an existing market, right? So, so you're going to look and you're going to say, well, new, new, or, or, or existing, existing, we just need to do a better job. But we're going to look at those market opportunities. I think people do a decent job of that typically when they're talking about opportunities. But the other, other four box grid we do is we talk about those internal opportunities, right? And we want to make sure that people understand that a huge part of the value of your company is how you are, your processes and systems internally, the people that you have and, and the culture you've created. And so we are trying within that opportunity uh, of four box grid, we're trying to create that in a way that makes you understand, hey, I've got the wrong people in this, in this role. This is a really important role. My head of sales isn't getting the job done we have an opportunity here to, to change and do it differently. Or, hey, we're doing it this way. Man, we've got great people, but we've saddled them with a terrible ERP system. We need um, internally to get better. So we've got an opportunity here. So, so we're coming at it from both a market perspective and an internal perspective. And at the end of that, they can look and say, wow, here's 10 things we could go and do in, in the marketplace. Here are 10 things we could do internally. We can't do it all. But now we at least have, have, have prioritized them, kind of ranked them, and have a clear picture of what they look like so that as we, as we move forward into the essence part where we're making some of those strategy decisions, here's, here's that uh, opportunity set that they can be choosing from. And, and I agree with you that people do a good job when they're doing this exercise. I don't think people do a good job doing this mm. because like when I think about like even on the market side, so new versus new and new so new product or service offering in a new marketplace that's highly risky so when you're talking about okay if i want my ebitda to go from one to one and a half my value to go to this my revenue to go to this you go okay well we're going to launch this 
what, why are we doing that? And then again, you're pulling from your doctrines about what you believe about your marketplace. But like, you know, I think about after three years of building out managed IT services, I mean, that was wildly different. New offering to, we found out through the process that it wasn't necessarily always the same type of clients because we had a lot of large companies, but we're not going to do managed IT services for them. So I just think it's like, it's, it's a way to prioritize and go through to understand your trade-offs and the risk associated with those trade-offs. And what I think it's also interesting too, Greg, is whether you're going to, I mean, honestly, it, it should be able to like highlight whether it's a buy versus build. Yep. I mean, like you could, you could continue building organically different parts that are more, you know, right. new products with your existing customers, but then you want to go buy something that's a new, new, and it's just a different way to even have a lens and an M and A strategy. I agree completely. And, and, and one of the things that often comes up is um, is how people, when they know their existing market, they know their products and services, they know their existing market, they're a lot more specific about the opportunities in that box than they are in the new new, where it's like, oh, well, we could develop a software for companies like us and then go and sell that to them. And so, you know, oh, yeah. And it's like, well, we're not a software company. Uh, we don't have a, 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 <laughs> we don't have a, B, a B2B sales channel. We don't know how, and yet it looks really attractive because it's like, oh, well, if we can solve it for us, then everybody would want to buy it from us. And, and so you don't know that business. And so it makes it look so much easier. And so we, we try <laughs> to force those, those conversations to say, hey, listen, you know, you've got you've to really work and, um, and, and, and make some prioritization decisions here because you can't do all of this. And, and that new, oh, new box right. is really, really tough. And to go and win in a new, new box, is, um, it, it requires a lot more investment. And it, 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 it requires you guys to be fully engaged behind it. And right now, as a guide, I may look at your organization and say, hey, guys, I'm glad we've, we've written it down. I'm going to tell you, you're underestimating how much work that is. And, and so we can help, we can help guide to, uh, to, to good solutions. Greg, I, I know. And I, and I, and I, because I'm an internal optimist and I'm a visionary and I got more ideas than I know what to do is. So I end up going to the new, new too fast and too like, and not understanding the complete consequences of it. And I think some people can relate or they choose not to do it. And they're always playing the safe game. And the, I've seen too many times where people sit in these executive team meetings, whether it's EO, and I'm, I'm beating the EOS drum, obviously, because of just how much exposure I have to it consistently. But how are you picking which rocks to do? Yeah. Is it growing enterprise value? Can you afford to do it? And what's the risk tied to it? And people are just kind of making shit up usually. And it's okay, but it's like, what is there, like to, to be more intentional and say, this is what we're doing and why we're doing it. And by the way, here's what the capital is going to take. Here's how long it's going to take. I mean, people just are making stuff up and then they get upset with the lack of progress or the lack of, you know, all these things, but they don't know why because they can't, tie it back to a, a strategy that they put in place. Yeah. yeah, you're right, Ryan. It's it's one of those, um, I, I mean, it, 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 it's uh, it's easy to sit in a conference room and, and create uh, incredible businesses uh, in your mind or or even on the uh, on the whiteboard. But, <laughs> I've done it. Done it. It's a lot harder yeah, in person. Yeah, but we actually have to go and implement. So we help, we help shine some of that reality into the, in, into the space of our clients, which uh, I think they appreciate. And, and we definitely help. Um, when you have the wild-eyed uh, optimist, the the dreamer, the visionary, and then you've got a team that's suffering from whiplash from the last three years, as, as they've already gone on six of those journeys, and, and, and none of them have yet borne fruit. And so, 
how do you, you know, we, we can be that guide helping both come to uh, some good places. So, you know, Ryan, you, and, and then, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say it leads right into company assets, right? And this is, I was, this, saying, yeah, I was going right there well, and, I, and I think it's, I, well, I love your filter on this. Yeah, well, it's one of those deals where when we talk about company assets, we have 10 categories that we will put those assets into and we want to know what you have that is going to enable your success in the future, right? So, so a company asset, for example, let's say you have a great client base, right? You, for whatever reason, um, they're uniquely valuable. They have a, um, uh, th th there, there's some characteristic about them that, you know, you've got 10,000 clients and they're all a relatively small percentage of your overall revenue. So you've got this loyalty and, and that asset is a really valuable asset. Okay. So, so how are we going to optimize that and maximize that asset? And what, how do we build this into our strategy so that we're looking and saying, Hey, versus our competition, we've got three times as many clients as they do. What does that enable us to do that it doesn't enable them to do? How does this asset, how could we make it stronger? How could we deploy this asset maybe in a, in a different marketplace, right? And so now you're starting to look and think strategically about those assets in ways that you haven't before. And so we are trying to get people to think about these assets as, okay, how unique are they? How could somebody copy this easily, right? So how defendable is it? Um, so it could be really unique, but it would be easy for your competition to just spend a hundred thousand uh -huh. dollars, and now they have the exact same asset. Okay, well that's not very well, th that might be rare, but it's not it's not very um, it, it, it's easy to imitate. And so we we would say, well that's the lower value. So how are we looking for those unique assets that are going to drive unique value for your business? Sometimes they're missing, right? You know, hey, we don't have any intellectual property. Everybody who has really broken through in this market has some kind of IP. Okay, what are we going to do? Mm -hmm. how, how do we go out and buy some IP that, that's going to be useful for mm -hmm. our company? How do we develop it internally? Like what, what, is, what gap are we going to have that, that we're really coming back and, 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 um, and fighting for? And so that's, that's a big part of the, the conversation around assets is, is how unique, how well, valuable, how rare is it, and, and how do we use them well? And it's not, you know, I think people can, it's not just financial, like you mentioned a couple of times. And in, I think the, the, the key part behind this exercise that I've seen multiple times come to fruition is that it's what's valuable with the exercise is it's not obvious yeah. sometimes. And like there was this, uh, there was a, a company that I, I thought was so fascinating where uh, electrical contractor, very large company, de you know, deploying com uh, rollouts and buildouts across the nation. And so when they were trying to figure out what to, what do we do besides just this, it kept, you know, it, it, like your, your head kind of goes right to like, is it just different types of customers, different this? Well, after going through this type of exercise, it's like, hey, we're damn good project managers. Yeah. We can deploy. So we can deploy really complex projects really fast and really effectively. And so it was like, oh, maybe it's not. So our assets are people on our rapid deployment project management system. And the fact that we have a national footprint of contractors huh, maybe we could do POS systems or, you know, you know, all these different things, you know, security cameras, all these different things that might right. that have the same business model structure that was not obvious necessarily without going through perfect, an exercise. Perfect example. Perfect example. I had a, I had a client base. Uh, I had a client early on and, and my strategic planning career, 
where it was a software business. They had seven executives. When we did this exercise around company assets, the seven executives, when I said, what's your number one asset? Um, they had six different answers between the seven executives, right? And so even amongst the team that was a pretty good leadership team, they couldn't or didn't see that their primary asset was their client base, right? They had this really valuable client. Their product was old. They had some uh, internal, their people were good, but but not uniquely not uniquely valuable. But they had this unbelievable customer base that they had assembled over the last 15 years that was really yeah. uniquely valuable. And so this exercise even helped them come to see, oh, wait, this is our primary asset. We do have these customers. They are uniquely valuable. And, and how do we leverage that most effectively? And so company assets and really thinking with that asset uh, that a- asset-based view uh-huh. it, it is really valuable and, 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 and helps open up the minds of the team that's doing the planning to ideas and opportunities like you just described, I think is a perfect one where, hey, yeah, we're doing this, but our, our underlying skill set is this. This is the asset. How do we deploy mm-hmm. that to, to open up new markets and wildly valuable? So I know we're getting close to the end of the time here, yeah. but the the one that I want to spend a little bit more time on too, and then we'll wrap up is winning positions. Yeah. And it's, um, I like how you have different types of winning positions and your explanation of those. So again, I know you kind of gave a little overview again, but yeah. let's, let's like explain what it is and why it's important as part of the process. Yeah. So I, so here's the hypothesis and the hypothesis is that you're going to win because of uh, that there's a reason you're going to win in your marketplace. And we look and we say, well, why are you going to win? And how are you going to win? Now, sometimes some people think winning is just competing and getting the same 15% that every one of my competitors is getting, right? And you don't necessarily have to have a winning position to go out there and get at average returns. So if you are the local um, you know, the local, local professional service, you're the local law firm, and you're content saying, hey, we're competing and we're getting our share and, and we've got it, you might not have a winning position and, and you're content making 13% or, or whatever that number is. So, mm-hmm. so to break through, to get to the other side where you're saying, no, 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 we're, we're a, we are a valuable company. We have done something. We aren't just competing. We're winning. We we have a, a larger market share, or we're making a lot higher margin, or we have something that's this really uh, attractive value. Um, that's where a winning ground, position right? is. Yeah, that's where a winning position is required. And so we look and we say there are there are five ways to win. Now I used to say there were eight. I've consolidated it a, a little bit. So these five ways to win are. I, I don't think they're exhaustive, but I think they're representative of what the ways that that small and mid-sized businesses can win. And so I'll go through them quickly. The first one is relative uh-huh. scale. So so hey, we're we're bigger than the guys we're competing against, right? Most family-owned businesses or smaller mid-sized businesses, they don't have scale when it comes to Amazon or Microsoft or uh, GM or whoever it might be that's the 800-pound gorilla, but they probably could and and do have it versus the other family businesses in their region or in their niche part of the market. And so you can win with relative scale. And, and that, that basically means that your unit costs are going to be lower as your volume increases, right? And so you're winning mm-hmm. by saying, hey, we've got this relative scale versus our competition. So every time we add a new customer, our costs are going down and we're making more, more, more. 
as we get bigger and bigger. And so that's one way to win. And so if you think about it as the high ground, you could be sitting in the middle of this battlefield and looking out and saying, there are five, um, there are five hills, right? There are five mountains that I can go and try to climb. And you may be closest already to that relative scale. You may look at it uh-huh. and say, man, that's really attractive. If we could double in size, that I could get even more power against my suppliers. And, and boy, that's a really attractive mountain. And so we're helping our clients make that decision to say relative scale looks really good. And one, 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 one example, too, and, I, and I'll let you keep going, yeah. is that like in our old business, even though we were doing about $20 million in revenue, we weren't close to the other people that they were getting cash with order discounts. We didn't have the capital structure to do that. So we're like immediately losing money if we're going head to head with them. Yeah. And for us to get to the relative scale compared to them, we'd had like 5X our business, but like there was no, like, so like when you talk about like yeah. which mountain, mountain or mountain to climb, right. that was one that was very obvious that we weren't going to win. Way off in the distance and lots of, uh, lots of junk. <laughs> lots of you. pain on the way yeah, there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, lots of junk between you and, and that mountaintop. So, <laughs> so maybe you looked at the second one and said, hey, our winning position is going to be integration, right? And, and what we mean when we say integration is really you've got this relational depth and connectedness, or you've got some kind of systemic dependence, interdependence that you've created for your client to where they look at you and say, wow, it would be so painful for me to end my relationship with this company. And so if, if I'm thinking about, um, you know, a major uh, uh, SAP, right? If, if you're, you know, people know who SAP is, they do ERP software. If you're um, a Fortune 100 company, there's a good chance you're running SAP, right? And so for Disney to come off of SAP, would cost them billions and billions and billions of dollars. It would disrupt their business. And so SAP has this winning position of integration that says, hey, we are so essential to our client's business that we're going to be able to charge them more because we know how painful it is for them mm-hmm. to come and pull themselves away. You can also do this relationally, right? Where, man, they, this team knows us so well. We have such good relationships. We view them as an extension of who we are. And now we've got this, this integration and it's so tight. So, so you really want to, if you're going after this hill, you're basically saying, how do we make it so the switching costs are so high that our customers uh-huh. don't want to leave us? And so that's another hill. That's another winning position that you can go and achieve. Uh, a third one would be operational potency, where you're basically saying, hey, we just do it better, right? We are so good at what we do that, that we operate with such excellence that we're going to be able to, to win um, because we do this better. We're the easy choice because you're going to know that you're, you're, you're going to get better from us, whatever better looks like um, in terms of just how you run your business. So I use the example of Chick-fil-A, not to offend anybody who loves Chick-fil-A food, but I look at it and say, it's fine. The chicken sandwich is fine. But what I really love is the fact when I get in their line, I know I'm going to be through that line in seven minutes, right? And the order is going to be right <laughs> yeah. and the food's going to be hot. And I know that, you know, it's going to be a fine lunch and I'm going to get exactly what I wanted. And so their operational potency is so high that, that they have made th- that winning position for me as a customer is I'm going to choose them because of how good they are at delivering that chicken sandwich. Not because I love that chicken sandwich so much, but because of, of how good they are at delivering that chicken sandwich to me. And so so that's operational potency. And, and really what it does is if you can get to the place where you have operational potency, you have a chance to win a lot more market share, right? Because 
you're doing it. It might not be cheaper. It might not even be the product or service underneath. It might not even be better, but you're doing it so well that your clients are like, yep, I'm going to give you more business or you're able to win Expectations and consistency. Yeah, yep, yep. absolutely. Yeah. Um, the next two winning positions are exclusivity and preferred offerings. And so preferred offerings is the flip side of that Chick-fil-A sandwich a- equation, right? Where you look and you say, hey, even if they are the service is terrible, their product is so good that I'm going to go there because I love their I love their product so much, right? And so I don't know what that might be for you, or maybe it's because hey, I'm looking at it and and saying not it's not even that it's better, it's that it's so much cheaper, right? So I prefer it because the ROI for me as a consumer or me as a, a small business is so much higher on this. I prefer them, and so. It could be on the high side, like Apple, you know, they've got great products and people love their products. They're going to pay a premium or it could be on the low side where, hey, I'm going to go with the general. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen the ads at later. Oh, night. for sure. Yeah, <laughs> the, the, the general insurance. We'll keep, yeah, we'll keep you illegal <laughs> for less, right? And they have found a market and they found a client base that says, hey, I prefer them. Why? Because it's going to be a whole lot cheaper. I'm going to meet the minimum state requirements for insurance in the state of Ohio or Minnesota or wherever you are. And for me, that's a preferred offering. I don't need State Farm. I want the general because that's a higher ROI for me. And then exclusivity is the the last one that's basically saying we're the only place you can get it, right? To go out and and do what we do or to replicate what we offer is going to be very hard for you. And so, you know, we are going to be the exclusive provider. So maybe it's geographically based, right? We're the only um, Asian fusion restaurant in this small town, or, hey, we're the only, um, in this niche, we're the only guys that can build. We have like, can't, you know, the only, the only reseller of this equipment or that right. we've got manufacturer. A, we've, we've got a territory yep. and we've got an exclusive territory. So if you want, you know, this, this forklift, you've got to come through us because we're the only ones that can sell it to you. Mm-hmm. And so you've got that exclusivity. And so, that exclusivity um, means, man, we've got something that's really rare and valuable, and and we can charge higher prices because we are we are there. So so those five winning positions, that's what we're trying to look at. By the time we get here and we're saying, okay, we've laid your foundation, we've talked about your flywheel, we've 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 really worked through you know the company assets that you have. Given that, which of these are do you want to aspire to, so that when we get to the enablers. We say, okay, now we're going to go and do this. We've said we're going to go. So for Ryan, for you, I'm guessing that part of your play at the copy of your business was either integration or operational potency, right? You were looking and saying, hey, we want to be part of their business. We want to make it so this, there's a high switching cost here, provide them such great service or have you know, really, um, I mean, literally they couldn't, I mean, people couldn't cancel because you're integrating managed IT, yep. software, hosting provider, copier, yep. leases and services all wrapped in on a price per user or whatever yeah. per month for six, six or five, for 60 months. Yeah. I mean, people, when we sold people, there was people that when we sold, were like, are you serious? They were so pissed at us. I'm like, sorry. They literally, could. it's like, we just downloaded a CSV file and handed it to the acquirer. And like, that's, that's what you got, man. Like, yeah. sorry, you can't, you can't switch. It it's going to like rip apart your company. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you looked and said, Hey, we couldn't get to the relative scale but we can get to this integration position, right? And so we're gonna we're gonna work on this integration. How do we make that even stronger? How do we make it better? Um, how does that enable us to charge those higher prices and and get where we want to go? And so so that's what we're helping our clients do with a winning position. And honestly, that's what 
almost no strategic planning in the small and mid-sized business space does, right? It's, it's, it's that they want to come up with, here's some things we're going to go and do, but they don't look and say, how are we going to win in our marketplace? And so this conversation where we're talking about keystone number six, your winning position, we have that frank, honest discussion about, okay, how are you going to win in your marketplace? And it, it is a, um, it's a tough conversation to have. Sometimes people who have terrible processes and systems are going to say, hey, we want to do operational potency. And we're like, you are a long way from that hill. Right? You're a long, that's, that's miles away. You're, here's, here's your binoculars. You don't realize there are uh, swampy waters between here and there, and you have no assets to get you there. Uh-huh. Um, so we, we help clients look and say, hey, this actually makes sense for us. This is how we're going to win. And so, you know, Ryan, I, I, you know, I could talk all day about this. I'm sure, you know, if people are still listening to us, they're like, wow, <laughs> these guys love strategy and, uh, and, and we do. So. Well, and we'll, and we'll, we'll land the plane here. And I, I think, you know, my, t- my two cents and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. Grace, this is about making choices yep. and spending the time to make the choices. And so in a, you know, in a pretty quick way, like what is the process? And maybe you can kind yep. of give the, the couple minute overview of simply strategic and like, how does, how does this actually come to fruition? Like what, like, is it 12 weeks? Is it six weeks? And then we'll, and then we'll wrap it up. Yeah. No, it's usually about six to eight weeks. Um, we do an analysis phase, which lasts anywhere between two and four weeks. And then it's maybe three or, three or four weeks to, to develop the plan to go through phase two. Um, like you said earlier, we either integrate into your existing financial, uh, I'm sorry, professional management system, or we help you develop uh, an execution plan in a, in a phase three. Um, we love working with clients that are, um, that, that, that have, a, uh, a, a desire to get better, to improve, to do things differently than they've done them in the past. Sometimes that desire is born out of, hey, just ambition and the desire to grow. Sometimes it's born out of, holy crap, we've got- I got no choice. <laughs> we've got no choice. Uh, COVID ruined our business or you know, my father just uh, you know, walked away from this thing and handed it to me and now I've got to figure it out and, um, and, and it's not working and that's why- you know, he, he left and went to the beach. And so um, we love to work with clients that are ready to, to do it and um, to, to make some of those tough choices, but, but ultimately to get to a place where they have a compelling strategy and not just some things that they're going to go and do that, that are disconnected. So, and, and Ryan, I would love say anybody, anybody who's interested can go to our website. We're at simplystrategic.us. Um, you can follow me on LinkedIn. I've been doing a series of videos that are Three and a half minutes, just strategy stories worth knowing and um, trying to explain some of these concepts with with stories, because I think people learn through stories. So love to love to have anybody that's interested uh, connect. And we'll put all that uh, those links in the show notes. Um, and then the one final question, because you, 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 you got the second one is the word intentional. What does the word intentional mean for you? I think it means uh, proactive. First of all, right? Like it's hard to be intentional unless you're proactive. So it's you saying, "Hey, I'm not going to let the, the the terms dictate the way that I'm going to handle it." Right? I'm not going to just constantly live in this reactive state, but I'm going to be proactive. And then um, it's that discipline to keep going, right? So um, if if I'm looking at the word intentional, I'm saying it's proactive, and then it's it's having the discipline to to stay with it, um, not just make a decision that I'm going to be intentional or proactive, but to actually live it for enough time to see it come to, come to life. The real hard work, right? <laughs> Do the real hard work. As, as we've been talking about, it's, uh, 
none of none of it's easy um and and it doesn't come without type, type two hard type two fun hard work right, That's right. greg this has been a hey, blast man, man. thanks it. so much for coming back on the show thank you ryan i appreciate it I really hope you enjoyed that episode with Greg. I think it is one of the most important things that people need to focus on because other than their financials, what I've learned that most people neglect is going through the process of having an actionable strategic plan that has forced them to go through choices that they have and trade-offs to make really focused, intentional decisions to organize their assets into a high-impact winning position, build the numbers that reflect that strategic plan plan and then implement all of those strategies using an operating system like EOS. If you want to know more about and about this entire concept, go check out the Intentional Growth Framework at Arcona.io. Download the curriculum. We talk all about this stuff in principle four, about how to strategically increase the value of your company by organizing your financials and your strategic plan into an operating system by de-risking your cash flow and growing the value of your company by increasing the multiple. Thanks again for tuning in. Check it out at arcona.io. Otherwise, I will see you next week.